HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I am broadcasting from the Foundation Hotel in Detroit. It is my first ever podcast on the road, and I am so excited to be in Detroit. I'm so excited to be at the Foundation Hotel that has a studio, and so instead of just me with my guests in a hotel room... I'm in this gorgeous mid-century mecca with like a Shinola turntable with um, a really cute coffee cup that says, say nice things about Detroit. That's, I don't know, that's very inspiring because that's what we're going to do on this show. We are going to say really, really nice things about Detroit. So I want to get started by talking to the amazing chef at this hotel and and then later we're going to talk to a woman who is the inspiration for me coming to Detroit who basically has brought culinary diplomacy to this city and another chef who is about to open what is going to be one of the best restaurants in Detroit so i'm going to start right here with my breakfast <laughs> welcome Tom Lent, the chef at Foundation. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm going, I'm doing well. You're good. Well, you made me breakfast, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I've got in front of me is a plate that signifies a little bit of Detroit because I've got um, I've got some sausage from Corridor. I have coffee from I want to say anarchy. Anthology. An- yeah. Anthology. It's not anarchy. Um, that's what happens later. And, <laughs> and, um, and some Detroit bagels. So you had this extraordinary restaurant in Chicago, 16. You came to Detroit 
a few months ago. Yeah, I got here in January. Got here in January. And tell me about what it's like to source incredible food from around Michigan and uh, what your hopes are with the food program you're doing here at the hotel. Sure. You know, actually, it's really easy to source good food in Detroit and in Michigan. I was really surprised, um, you know, coming from Chicago, you know, uh, you know, I think it was something you're a bit spoiled with the, the food choices that you have there. And moving to Detroit, you know, I was able to you know, be able to find sources really, really easily. The one thing that I said about Detroit, as soon as I got here, everybody introduced me to somebody else that could help me, you know, like... Will, for instance, who uh, does the quarter sausage, great guy. It's located over in Eastern Market. Beautiful, different arrays of sausages that he does. And he literally introduced me to six other people that were like, you know, here, you, you know, Kobayashi, the guy who does our eggs, was a friend of his. That You know, like, it, literally, it's, you know, everybody wants everybody else to do well in Detroit. And, uh, and they push you in a direction and they show you very, you know, very friendly way that they want, you know, everybody to be successful. And that's good. Do you feel like that's different from Chicago? I, I or do New York, a hundred percent. You know, I think the way I look at it, um, Detroit is that moment right right now where everyone's self interest and everyone's community interest kind of coincide. Um, everybody want everybody else's success helps everybody else, and that pushes everyone in a direction to be really open to each other and really supportive. And that's I, I've you know I've. I've lived and worked all over the world, and I've never really been a part of that, uh, in the, at least to the level that it's happening in Detroit right now. I will say we're going to hear that echoed throughout the, the show today, in fact, because I've, I've found that with everyone that I've spoken to, it's about people supporting each other for a greater good and their own good. But Detroit's so community-minded it, of course, makes everybody want to move here. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, now, the... Um, you have an ambitious plan to do a chef's table in the restaurant. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that and how you think Detroit will respond to food of that kind, which probably is not something that's been here. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think uh, for me, you know, my background is really, you know, kind of high-end fine dining. Super high-end. Yeah, 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 super (laughs) fine fine dining. And, uh, you know, I I love that, but it's kind of a selfish passion. You know, I think it's something that you do that's uh, very uh, art-driven and that, you know, you you try to, you know, make your your food. And uh, coming to Detroit, I wanted to really make sure that you know, at least the majority of what I was doing was for the people. You know, I wanted my joke is kind of I wanted to make more democratic food. Uh, you know, I wanted to make <laughs> food for the for the people a little bit more, and to to be able to express kind of you know my food, the things that I've learned and the the things that I've I've been fortunate enough to see in my career uh, to a broader market and to to make a bigger impact. Um, but that doesn't mean that I still don't have those selfish passions and that I don't still love to cook really high end uh, fine dining. So. When I got a part of this program, that was one of the things that I wanted to do was open up a really small, it's only a uh, 12-seat dining room. We're going to do it three days a week, maybe four days a week, um, and really be able to do some of the same things that I was doing in in 16 and uh, at Joel Robichon uh, while I was there, that, you know, that level of dining uh, that, you know, and bring that to Detroit. Um, We're going to keep it small. Um, You know, we've had a ton of interest, so I think that Detroit really wants to see it. Um, I think it'll be something that really kind of, like you said, hasn't really been in Detroit before. Um, and it also, we want to serve, the, that space is kind of an incubator for other people to be able to come in and see what we're doing and be able to, to work with me and to be able to expand uh, both from the things that I do, but also showcase other chefs in, in the city and other up-and-coming kind of uh, chefs that haven't established themselves in that space as well. Well, I think Detroit is sort of the king or queen of, of pay it forward. And yeah. that seems like that would be a great 
great place to do it. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for coming on. Thank yeah, you for a, a really good breakfast. And I can't Enjoy. wait to come back and uh, you know take a seat at the chef's table. When do you think that might possibly open? We're shooting for a September first opening. So that's okay. uh, yeah. As, that's soon as, soon. as soon as I get everything in place, then you know it's uh, it's ready to go. I'm gonna check back in with you on that. Now, next, my next guest is someone who is just about to open. So you don't even have to wait till September to, to experience <laughs> Lady of the House. I have with me today, Kate Williams. Kate, welcome. Thank you so much. So I had the great pleasure of eating at your restaurant last night before anyone else. And yeah. you, you can imagine as... Um, like a talent or trend scout, that's the greatest thing you always want to get there for. So I did, uh, along with 24 other <laughs> lucky people. So I was not alone in this dining room. <laughs> but I loved the the history of this space. It's sort of another theme I see in De- Detroit is the, um, the theme of reuse and reimagination. Mm-hmm. So the Foundation Hotel used to be a fire, what was that? It was the headquarters. It was the fire department headquarters. Fire department headquarters. They certainly had a very chic outlook um, <laughs> back then. The, the ceilings are gigantic, and there are these beautiful arches that did fire engines go in and out of those? Like, were there? No, actually, the door next to it. But those all opened, and they were, you know, basically where all of the equipment was uh, stored was on that first floor where the apparatus room, our main restaurant, is. So okay. So, um, but your restaurant has gone through a couple of transitions, and it was it's in Corktown, and. It was an Irish restaurant, and they had dark paneling from Ireland and stone from Ireland. And you kept it, mm-hmm. but whitewashed it. So it was this beautiful, light um, space. Can you tell me about the, the dream of opening Lady of the House? Well, yeah, it's been, gosh, it's been such a long journey. I feel like I've been building this for 15 years. Um, but speaking to something Tom said, you know, when I'm I'm from Detroit originally, I travel moved around the country, um, New York, Chicago, uh, and, and also in Florida. And then when I came back here, that was the first time I was like, oh, this is where I want to have a restaurant. Um, and you know, it's in Corktown, which is the oldest neighborhood in the city. It was you know settled by the Irish. So my great grandparents met as Irish immigrants at the Gaelic League. Um, my dad's father grew up on Vermont Street, right over there. So it's definitely close to my heart and when that space kind of became available we were like all right this is this is our home so well <clears throat> it's uh, so tell me what type of food are you going to be doing last night i got a, a little bit of a sense this amazing lamb tartare that had lamb jerky as part of it so you had the, just the lusciousness of the tartare but and you know some texture in there that was really really great. I know you're interested in whole animals, mm-hmm. um, so tell me about the what you're thinking of the food program. Yeah, so I guess technically it's New American, a little bit of French, and um, I spent time in Copenhagen, so a little bit of Nordic influence in there as well. But, you know, we have farmers growing for us. We have a farm that we grow on as well, so kind of just changing with the seasons and absolutely using the whole animal and 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 no waste uh, of the plant as well. All right, well, so I know that you believe in ugly food. I mm-hmm. am all about ugly food, not because it's ugly, but I think it's so unfair that people are obsessed with the beautiful food mm-hmm. that means that you can be wasting um, tops, tails, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But um, I love that you're also interested in ugly food and, of course, no waste. So 
Um, you also ha- have a program with your, is it your cousin, um, which is Alternatives for Girls? Yeah, actually, so Alternatives for Girls, I had done a, uh, I taught a cooking class with them for many years, and and what we found is there was a need to grow and actually offer more, and my cousin happens to be working in the nonprofit world for uh, 10 years and was doing some work in Swaziland, and I kept going to her f- to her for advice, and I was like, actually, can you just help me <laughs> take care of this? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're working on that right now. So tell me, what's the program, and um, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, you know, so I started kind of wanting to, when when I came back to Detroit and wanted a restaurant here, I was like, okay, I need the whole city to succeed, not just, you know, downtown and the glamorous thing. So what can I do? Well, I know how to cook. That's all I know how to do. So I started teaching healthy meals at fast food prices to um, Alternatives for Girls, which is a homeless shelter, uh, ages 14 to 21. And they're, they're absolutely incredible. They have this transition to independent living program where they teach them either, you know, how to properly speak in a job interview or, you know, how to balance your checkbook. And they weren't teaching any any cooking. Um, what was interesting, though, is that I found, you know, these girls, women wanted jobs. They're like, yeah, this is great. But when your restaurant opens, like, I'll do this, I'll do that. Um, and so realize that there is definitely a need for how do we get people into jobs. And, and of course, as in every city, but here there's a shortage of labor, right? So how do we kind of put that, put the pieces together? Uh, Tom, I think you also had an interesting point of view on that. One of the reasons you were excited to be here was to train that kitchen staff and to give people, you know, a, a leg up and very much culinary. So. I think that was part of the draw for Detroit for me as well was the ability to be able to come in here and really make an impact on the culinary community and be able to teach a lot of people. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be raised by two educators, so it's something that's near and dear to my heart to, to kind of pass on everything that I've learned and be able to, to, to make the industry better. So... Now I'm going to bring in our third guest. This is like three-part harmony. <laughs> this is my um, my first sort of conversational podcast. So it's not only my very first um, one on the road, but because it was inspired by Julie Egan, who's our next guest, who is um, has launched something called Salonière, which is all about conversation, I thought it was fitting for us to really make today's podcast about conversation and see what we all can learn. So, Julie, welcome. Thank you. I would not be here if it weren't for you. You are the one who said, you know, there's so much going on in Detroit. I want to introduce you to Kate. I want you to see the Foundation Hotel. I want you to meet these girls who have Bon Bon, which is a chocolate shop. I want you to try Sister Pie. I want you to find out about the Detroit Food Lab. I want you to find out about the Detroit Kitchen. You have to see the Eastern Market. I mean, your list was so long <laughs> that um, I was like, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, I've been to a lot of cities where I've been promised less. <laughs> so you're interested in cultural diplomacy, and partly that's because of your background in State Department diplomacy. Can you tell us all about your role at the State Department, and um, we'll go from there. Sure. Um, Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, So you're right. Um, So the the inspiration for Salonier has a lot to do with my career in diplomacy. Um, I was was lucky to be at the State Department for 10 years. Um, I spent a lot of that time... um, 
in um, areas of the world that were undergoing transformation. Um, my particular background was in um, the Middle East and Northern Africa. And so um, I spent um, years kind of conducting uh, shuttle diplomacy between Washington and places like Libya and Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria, and other places. And um, What did you actually do? So, so I get to ask this on air. We're, like, we're new friends, so I don't even know. So tell me now and tell like, you know, thousands of other people. Yeah, people often ask me, what does that mean to yeah. be a diplomat? And I think the basic answer to that is it's all the activities that go into creating relationships between countries. So we have embassies and um, those embassies build relationships and conversations for us with um, people in other places of the world. Um, but specifically in my role, um, I um, worked quite a bit on um, entrepreneurship diplomacy um, for the Obama administration. Um, and so what I was doing, um, I was helping um, the State Department to build uh, uh, its first kind of set of relationships in North Africa before the, the uprisings. And we actually uh, we launched a foreign policy two weeks before the first uprisings in Tunisia. Um, and to, I mean, to go back to cultural diplomacy. That seems like tricky timing. It yeah. was very tricky timing. Um, it was an interesting time to be um, in, in places like Libya um, and to be in places like Tunisia where there was um, enormous um, change happening. And it was incredibly important um, then, as it is now, to be building on our areas where we share mutual um, mutual concern, mutual respect, mutual interest. And one of those areas was um, where we could really find common ground was um, in, in entrepreneurship. So, um, so um, you know, that's also a common point here in Detroit. And, in fact, at the time I was recruiting organizations from Detroit um, who were, they were innovators, I felt, in creating solutions in difficult situations to help me engage with other with place with entrepreneurs in places like Tunisia where there was a need to create jobs and, and innovation. Um, and we used cultural diplomacy um, in that to that end, um, things like hip hop diplomacy or food diplomacy. Okay. Or, like tell me, hip hop diplomacy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. What what does that mean? It's one of my favorite things that the State Department has done. Um, oh my god. It's a real term. Yeah. It's a From thing. the State Department number. Yeah. <laughs> So essentially, it's a lot like what I'm trying to do with with, with Solanier, actually, and this is the, sort of the inspiration for the model, but um, we would quite simply um, engage our cultural leaders in the hip-hop community to um, come with us overseas and build relationships with other um, hip-hop artists, in this case in North Africa. In North Africa, um, hip-hop artists are uh, very influential in building, as they are here in the United States, um, in building um, and, and sort of directing a certain cultural dialogue. Um, food is like that as well. And so we would use those tools quite simply to build relationships. Um, for me, cultural diplomacy at its heart is the soul of a place. It's the soul of a nation. It's the soul of, uh, of a city. And so Solanier really is the continuation of that for me. It's cultural diplomacy on my terms. Um, and at I, your very own table in your very own house. Correct. <laughs> Which, you know, is, a, is a, definitely a shift from um, times past, but um, one that I appreciate. So, And so then you, you came to Detroit also um, for the State Department or for the White House? Yes. So, um, like Kate, um, I am uh, from here, and um, you'll find that people here um, will tell Tom's also that. from here. So, yeah. yeah. So we're all folks who, actually, it's an important part of the story right now. Um, you know, 
uh, like in other places of the world, like I've described, one of the big issues is um, brain drain. Um, the, your biggest assets are your people and your talent, and I feel that very strongly here in Detroit. Our greatest asset in Detroit is our people, but we lost a lot of people. Um, you know, not everyone. There's hundreds of thousands of people um, who never went anywhere, um, but there are people that left, and I was one of them, and I didn't necessarily intend to return, but I did, like Kate and like Tom. Um, and like Amber, who is the um, guardian angel of this podcast, <laughs> because she's the one who said, hey, we have a studio. Do you want to use it? So she also returned. Yep. So um, I returned to Detroit um, uh, as part of the Obama administration. Um, I was um, very honored to serve on a team of a small team of advisors that President Obama sent to Detroit to engage with the city um, after the bankruptcy. And um, my role, of course, as the international person was to look at how global engagement could be an asset in the recovery of the city. How'd that work out? Well, it was um, one of the, it was the most fascinating um, project of my career, I would say. Um, And it's actually led to something else, which is um, my belief very strongly that um, the future of foreign policy and international relations is um, urban diplomacy, uh, foreign policies for cities. Mm. Um, that has a lot to do with the fact that of uh, the trend in mass urbanization, more than 54% of the world right now lives in an urban area, and in about 15 years, that'll be close to 70%. Wow. So economic power basically is being held in cities, and so naturally cities want to build relationships with other centers of power. Um, And so Detroit, um, in my opinion, um, is positioned to be a leader in that space. That's partly thanks to the Obama administration, because we spent two years engaging with people all across the city, including um, people in the food community, um, because they're um, a big part of the identity that we can um, build relationships around overseas, the music industry, but also, um, you know, all of the other economic and, and human assets that we have here. Um, and so, you know, we're two years into kind of building a citywide um, effort in that regard. So urban, urban foreign policy, that's, the, that's something that, you know, that's a trend for you to watch that, that food can play into. And I... I love so um, when I came. One of the reasons I came was to attend a, a salon here and for the um, to see what was new. And we're getting a taste of that here today. But we're going to take a break right now, and uh, we'll be back after we hear a few words from our sponsor. One hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to the Detroit version of Speaking Broadly, broadcast from the Foundation Hotel. So I've got these three amazing guests, and I want to talk about Selenier in particular, because you've you organized two extraordinary meals so that people could have conversations and to have tough conversations so that it's not just um, light and fluffy, although there's some of that, but um, 
the first night, you had 10 chefs from the neighborhoods of Detroit, and they represented, um, you know, a mix of styles, a mix of sort of individual stories, everything from someone who had been um, the chef for the Knicks and now has a restaurant to um, a Bangladeshi woman who's a gardener who cooks. So uh, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about how you put together those 10 chefs and the idea behind it. Yeah, so um, I think... Uh, for me, as you said, um, salonier, which by the way, I'll just, um, it's a, I would say salonier is a French word that means um, the woman who holds salons. And so um, the, the the idea is is a female-centric model that dates back centuries, um, and there are women throughout history that have um, brought people together um, over food and drink to influence the cultural dialogue of their time. So that's my inspiration. Um, and so what we're trying to achieve, as you say, is um, creating a space where people can have honest conversation, almost radical honesty. Um, and one of the ways to create um, a, a, an intimate, comfortable space for people to do that is through shared meal. Um, and my, the way that I, I'm approaching this is to try to um, you know, engage the culinary talent from across the 139 square miles of Detroit. Um, in these conversations and help. And in this particular case, our goal was to, as our, you as our guest, we wanted to um, take you on a cultural journey across all these neighborhoods that you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to meet and also expose you to talent that oftentimes um, isn't highlighted. Um, there's a lot of invisible stories of food in Detroit and talent in Detroit that, that merit um, exposure. Anything from, as you say, um, the smaller urban gardens that are working with um, people from around the world like Bangladesh, but I also visited recently a farm on the east side of Detroit, which is my neighborhood, um, uh, who, a Kenyan woman who is a graduate of Michigan State, um, um, Ilea Beje Farms, um, and she's growing um, Kenyan um, um, pro, uh, uh, flowers, edible weeds, mm. and, and plants, um, as well as vegetables that she's using in African-inspired cuisine. So there's all of these treasures um, across the city. So my goal was to bring... Just, I just want to pause there for a minute and just <clears throat> have a little conversation about urban gardens in Detroit because it's something that became a topic of conversation around the table. What is the purpose of those gardens? Is it, you know, are they family gardens? What does it mean? Where did they come from? What does it mean for the city? I just wonder if you guys have any... Um, Kate, any thoughts on that or Tom? Yeah, I mean, I found it very unique... Uh, when I came back, one of the first uh, farmers I met was Brother Nature, and he's in North Corktown, which is where I live, and he started it to kind of keep his neighborhood safe, like, okay, if we grow here and there's the dogs and, you know, and then it's also growing for the people on that street. I thought that was really interesting, and also it sort of echoes this collaborative um, notion that we've seen. You know, the farmers plan this uh, year yearly meeting where they invite all the chefs and all the other farmers and like, Oh, what can we grow for you? I mean, I think that's like, that's huge. A, so is, um, the recovery farm, is that considered an urban farm machine? Yeah. So I don't know if you, yeah, we, I use recovery park a lot, actually farm. Okay, I mean, park, they, they, yeah, they, uh, they do a great job. And I think uh, Detroit, or Detroit is positioned right now at a, at a crux of time for urban farming. That's, it could really blow up in Detroit. I mean, it could be something that was, that, you know, there's huge agricultural amounts of land in this in this city that could be turned into 
you know, the first really urban agro kind of hybrid city in, in really the, in the world, I mean, or at least in this country. And I think that, you know, that's something for Detroit in looking to the future that we could really, you know, lead the way and kind of, you know, change the way people look at how cities and farms can coexist. Mm-hmm. I would also just mention, I think it's a really interesting way of, um, you know, sort of getting into the question of food in Detroit, the urban farming question, because um, urban farming is another example of incredibly innovative and hardworking Detroiters finding solutions to um, issues of scarcity. So urban farming in Detroit is really a question about um, there being lack of access to fresh uh, produce in a lot of neighborhoods. And so for a long time, there were no grocery stores in Detroit um, during a period, um, large grocery stores. And so people sort of said, well, you know what, we're just going to solve that problem ourselves by growing in our <coughs> neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a very, I think that's a very important um, window into the ethos and the culture of the people here is, um, well, if if we don't have it, then we're just going to figure it out ourselves. Mm-hmm. It, it also seems, I wonder if as Detroit continues to grow and strengthen, whether that notion of having arable land in the city will change because property values rise and then it's too expensive to have your farm on that land. There is a vast amount of space, though. Detroit, okay. is, a ma- <laughs> Detroit, Detroit is a massive We're city. We're a long way and from that. Yeah, okay. I think we, we, there's going to be areas of the city that are that are going to be available for a long time in the future. And that's, you know, so I think that there's, it's going to have to find its areas, but um, I think it definitely has the potential to, to have huge tracts of agrable land uh, for the city in the future. Mm-hmm. So another topic that came up on both nights was um, race in this city. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly... Um, it's something that people don't really like well, to talk about, and it's so heated. I, it didn't, I guess, here there's an acknowledgement mm-hmm. more than many places about conflict over race. Do you want to talk about um, some of the black-owned businesses that, uh, you know, you showcase their amazing chefs? And I thought that was that was great for a, a topic that's often sort of hidden. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. Um, Detroit is a place where the conversation around race is top of mind. And you you had an, a very unusual, I think, uh, insight into that over the last couple of days. I think we were able to create a space of radical honesty for you to hear this. And um, and I think it's it's important um, in food and in, in, in other areas. So um, you had the opportunity to um, meet, um, you know, leading female um, uh, entrepreneurs uh, working at black-owned restaurants in the city, um, such as Detroit Vegan Soul, who I think is um, an incredible example, and their food is um, just outstanding. I think they're also... um, also educating people around um, the uh, vegan food in Detroit and introducing people to that. I thought that um, was a particularly interesting example of how assumptions about Detroit can get turned upside down because I think she got a lot of pushback. Her name's Kristen. Kirsten. Kirsten. Mm -hmm. What's her last name? She got a lot of pushback. This is Detroit. No one is going to eat vegan food. Like, what are you thinking? Do you want to succeed or, you know, is this a, sort of a vanity mm-hmm. project? And it's been so embraced mm-hmm. and people love the food. So I think that the open-mindedness, if you do something delicious, you're passionate about it. And you just don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and I think... Um, 
you know, you. So I think the question of of black owned businesses in in the food um, industry in Detroit is is a really important one because there's a, so much incredible talent. Um, but again, going back to stories that don't often get lifted up, I think we're still in a space where. Um, we're not focused. Uh, there isn't enough national attention on um, on all the different kinds of food businesses in Detroit. You had an opportunity to taste um, food from a number of um, Black-owned businesses in the food space, including um, Yum Village, who's in West Village. It's, they're still a food truck, but you tasted their incredible um, lamb and jollof the rice. The lamb ribs. Oh my God, they were so. If you can imagine this, they're, the ribs are I don't know three inches, and they are just perfectly cooked so they're really melty they're not stringy or tough and they're coated with like spicy peppery um sauce and they just they came at the end of a long meal right we're seven courses in and you look at on the menu and you see lamb ribs you're like no 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 <laughs> like well, what were you thinking why am I having lamb ribs like seven and then there's three desserts to follow please don't do this to me and then like I demolished them because they were just they were so great and I thought it was interesting partly it was your choices but partly um that, that the idea that those ribs came out of a food truck, you know, it's not like it's the most written about you know restaurant in in Detroit. That was great curating on your part, but also says a lot about the city. Another refrain that I heard was how so often in Detroit something will start as a pop up or a, a truck, mm-hmm. and a, and and that's part of the collaboration, right? You'll lend Tom will lend someone the space to test out an idea. Exactly. Um, and so do lots of other people, something that is open, you know, five days a week, but they still have two days or they have mm-hmm. nights and they're only doing breakfast and lunch. So it seemed part of a, a larger idea that there's excellence in these businesses that are not well funded. I mean, that's why you have a truck, right? Because you exactly. can't quite afford to do bricks and mortar. You need to raise the capital. Exactly. Um, I was interested in the, the issue of capital around D- Detroit because I actually he- felt I heard conflicting things. Some people said there are so many resources to help start businesses, and others said it was really hard to raise money. I, do you have a sense of where that falls? In, in the food world, I guess we're just we're going to stick to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of these questions where um, there's still a real need for better connectivity, relationship building, and matchmaking, because I do think that there are resources out there. I mean, you heard from um, my business partner, Dennis Archer Jr., who is actively investing in um, the hospitality sector across the city, um, many black-owned businesses. He owns one of the top restaurants in the city, Central Bar and Kitchen. And he was was basically saying, look, there, I have resources. I know people who have resources, but the, one of the reasons that also this, one of the goals with Salonier is to provide also this venue where people can learn from each other about the resources that are there so that we can better help each other mm-hmm. and ra- raise up our talent in the food space and in other cultural spaces in Detroit. So I also think that there are organizations like the New Economy Initiative and, and other um, foundations in the city who are working really hard to create um, access to capital. But not everyone has the same educational background in the city. Not everyone has the same networks. Not everyone has the same um, privilege or um, access to um, uh, resources. And so it's really incumbent upon um, all of us to sort of um, better um, interconnect these these things. So I think it's not a simple question to ask uh, to answer. I do think 
in general, and I learned this through my work in entrepreneurship in general in Detroit, um, there is there has been for a very long time a, a real challenge in the space of access to seed capital. Um, I think that's changing a lot. I think there's a lot of efforts being made to to increase that, but I think we we still for a lot of people it's not a clear path. So when we think about the future of food, which is a bit of an obsession of mine, um, and you're in Detroit where you're really reimagining the future sort of every day one way or another because you have – there's a foundation, but there's also so much opportunity. There's a history, but it it weighs you down in one way, but it also leaves you free to explore in other ways. Are there parts of the Detroit – food ecosystem that you think point to something for the national uh, that can be that can change the future of food in a national way Just anyone well I mean I think um, one of the most interesting moments of our visit um, yesterday to Easter Market for me was um, our visit to Grobel's um, in Easter Market and so Grobel's um, is uh, you know uh, a leader in uh, it's corned beef. Corned beef. Basically, we're talking about, <laughs> talking about corned beef. I, I've never seen so much corned beef in my life, and I've never I known. Pause. So, <laughs> so it is um, right a huge producer of corned beef. I've never seen a corned beef um, packer maker plant, but uh, as you can imagine, corned beef is really important to the Irish community uh-huh. and St. Patrick's Day is the day, <laughs> and there is a countdown clock. As no. you yes, <laughs> as you walk that's in, that's a countdown clock to St. Patrick's Day because mm-hmm. starting in December, I think it's December. Could have been earlier. They they begin packing and prepping for that one day. I just I had to interject. That's that incredible. was amazing. But, and- but that's not your story. But I just <laughs> have to say that I. But, was really overwhelmed by that. And as a you know a partial uh, Irish American, I found that truly really extraordinary. <laughs> as someone who loves corned beef, yeah. <laughs> right. we all need to eat more corned beef. Uh, right. that's, that's um, sorry, but that you were t- going to talk about innovation and automation. Yeah, I mean, I think that my basic point was just that. I mean, as we think about you know sort of what Detroit, what we can learn in Detroit that's uh, relevant across the country. I think there are a number of things, but one of the things that I think we don't talk about enough is the innovation that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we saw yesterday was extraordinary. I mean. Um, Grobel's has actually revolutionized um, the corned beef industry by um, creating a new process. And so I think actually to take a, a, a bigger look, they've it's perhaps it's it's corned beef. But what it really is, I think, is about how you can apply um, processes and technologies from other businesses to streamline your own. And in their case, they didn't lose jobs, which I think is a an interesting piece of the puzzle because if you automate in Detroit and you eliminate jobs, um, that's, I mean, that's okay, I guess, for the bottom line of the business, but it's not great for the industry. And in this case, they uh, took, I loved, I fell in love with two technologies. One, there is something in uh, the auto industry that is, it's like a felt tip colored marker that's automated and in the auto industry it it like puts a dot on car parts Mm -hmm. but in the case of Grobel's it puts a colored dot on boxes of corned beef so you know what's in that box but it was taken from the yeah I thought that was amazing and the other thing they have um 
a machine that has a mechanical arm that can lift anything. <laughs> and so in car parts, they lift big sheets of metal. Mm-hmm. But here, they lift heavy, heavy boxes of corned beef and move them around, which actually is great for human beings because for human beings to be in the business of just lifting <clears throat> is um, is quite difficult. It also, they've found ways to automate to save the blood that drips out of the corned beef so it le- reduces waste and they can recycle that cleaned blood. They have a, um, an x-ray machine so the meat goes through an extra. I took this over from you, sorry. No, I'm so <laughs> happy to hear you speak of this because I, I think it's incredible actually what we, what we witnessed it, yesterday. It was amazing. So they x-ray so they can see within the, the beef like everything from is there, is there bone still left in there to um, whether it's healthy or not healthy and um and then they make their own um brine because they tried to have other people make the brine but they they couldn't work it out and they make it in like essentially industrial coffee pots which i just (laughs) thought was hysterical like again repurposing something saying well we want to do this what is the best piece of equipment that we can use it turns out that it's a coffee pot. Um, so i thought that was really great and at every turn in this one room that was the sort of the new version because they still operate the old way and the new way. So Mm. you have this unique opportunity to see them side by side. It was, um, it was completely fascinating. So you're right. One great thing to learn is how to use automation to the advantage of the food businesses. And even just to broaden that, I think one great thing to learn is just um, the story of reinvention of how you continually reinvent yourself. And I think that is really something the rest of the country could perhaps um, learn from the Detroit experience. Um, that You can see examples of that all across the city. I mean, in the cultural space, um, you know, you mentioned the auto industry. Well, um, you know, we have lots of, of folks who were um, worked on uh, in factories and uh, were engineers in the auto industry who have reinvented themselves as product designers, as industrial designers who are working on, you know, building um, bikes and turntables and um, jewelry and um, working in food. So um, I think I think that's a really important message. Yes, anything you want to add, add to that? No, I think that was pretty well spoken, to, to be perfectly <laughs> mm-hmm. honest. I think it, it really is, you know, Detroit is at that moment where, the, you know, communities and, and industries are speaking across different levels. And, you know, if we listen, we can learn from each other. And I think that that's something, you know, every every city and every, you know, in the country can can learn from. And Detroit's really, you know, kind of leading the way in a sense because of the, the necessity of those communications. Yeah, I think it, I think you all have said it perfectly. The the term scrappy comes to mind a little bit, which is exactly that kind of innovation, but also out of necessity. Um, for so long, it was really cheap to have, whether it's art space or to kind of figure out what you wanted to do with food. And that, I think, you know, brings out amazing ideas and solutions. So on this show, I always ask people to pay it forward to raise up one woman you're gonna have to find a woman tom sorry um <laughs> raise up one one got woman <laughs> you, you got you got one maybe yeah, just well. one woman um <laughs> who fun. should join the speaking broadly hall of dames because we love to celebrate extraordinary women who don't get heard from enough so um we'll start 
with you, Tom. Uh, you know, I could use my wife. She's a chef as well, but I'm not going to. Uh, Jackie <laughs> from Avalon, I think, is one of uh, Avalon mm-hmm. Bakery is one of. Okay, like, Jackie, a, last come, name. Yeah, uh, Victor. Drawing, Victor. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank there. Um, she, you know, when I came to Detroit, you know, I've met a lot of inspiring people, but I can only really. I think she's probably the most inspiring individual that I've met in Detroit. Um, she came in as uh, we brought a group of executives from the hotel, kind of. Uh, to begin training, she came in and spoke to us and really like her her story and kind of what she's done in the community and how she continues to be involved in the community, uh, both in from the bakery and kind of now expanding out into other uh, areas like really was in, like blew my mind. She's uh, she's an amazing woman. And like, uh, you know, I think uh, for me, really uh, a great example of the soul of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Kate. Uh, mine would be someone you met last night, <clears throat> Michelle Lutz of Recovery Park Farm. Yeah, really dedicated. She's really, uh, yeah, mind blowingly amazing, extraordinary. Yeah, they're they're expanding to what did she say? Uh, Will you explain what she she does? Yeah, so Recovery Park started as um, helping recovering addicts and uh, those with other roadblocks to employment, whether it's having been incarcerated, uh, teaching them to farm. And they're really dedicated to giving them a living wage and health care. And, and it's sort of holistic in that they're trying to teach problem solving and, and – um, and also growing delicious food for chefs with, like Chef Tom, and we use it at Lady of the House. So she's just incredible, and and I don't think she's heard from enough. And Julie? Um, well, a couple of people come to mind. Um, but um, uh, later on today, you'll be visiting um, uh, Bondhood Gardens in Hamtramck, and um, the woman who um, helped to lift that off the ground um, uh, Emily Stagadis, you'll meet today. And I think um, that's also a story that merits further exploration. Um, this whole idea of um, working with immigrant communities to um, um, highlight cuisines from other places, I think is really worth investigating. Um, and um, I'll also mention Pam Lewis um, from the New Economy Initiative here. I think it's important to think about how people build infrastructures and support and access to supporting food businesses. And I think that she is an extraordinary woman in general who you would really enjoy speaking with. Thank you. Thank you guys for an an inspiring episode of Speaking Broadly, or I can speak for myself. It was inspiring to me to be here in Detroit and to hear from all of you. And um, special thanks to um, Amber Rose Powers for making this possible, the Foundation Hotel, for, um, Tom for breakfast, um, <laughs> Kate for dinner, and Julie for two extraordinary <laughs> days um, in Detroit. Tune in next week and hear some more of fantastic people speaking broadly. This is Dana Cowan, your host. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.